Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Loving Eternal Father, we thank you and praise you for the privilege of being in your presence this morning, gathered together with each other in fellowship, which is always a great encouragement to each one of us. And uh, Father, we're just so appreciative of all your love and your care and the grace that you bestow upon us so readily day by day. And we, we would, with, with the psalmist, exclaim when we look around and see of your great creation, the stars, the moon and the sun, and etc., and all that you've provided for us, we'd say, Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But we know that you are, and we thank you for that. Now, Father, we thank you that um, your love is so evident all around us. And uh, Lord, as we uh, open up your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us, that what we learn from your word this morning might better fit us to serve you and we might become more like the Lord we love so much. And Father, we do want to pray for Andrew this morning. Um, indeed all who are sick uh, at this time, but we do particularly want to pray for our pastor because we know that he's uh, suffering a great deal and we just pray that you'll uh, bless him and heal him and ask, Lord, that the antibiotics will kick in and he'll feel much better very soon. Again, Lord, we just thank you for this time of worship together and we just ask your blessing upon us as we continue in Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. I shouldn't say this, but you know, I had to miss out on watching Port Power last night. <laughs> when I found out that Andrew was really not well enough to be here today. So I'm sorry that you haven't got the eloquence of Andrew. <laughs> but that's all right. There was a time when a uh, really zealous, maybe over-eager evangelical uh, posed the question to me and said, are you experiencing a full salvation? And uh, I said uh, yes to that at the time. This was many years ago. But I got to be thinking about that question and it posed another question in my mind, if I experience a full salvation, is, it, is there such a thing as a salvation that is less than full? Interesting question. And to examine my Bible, the title to this reading that Christy has brought to us this morning, Galatians chapter 6, the title to that section there is, We Harvest What We Plant. Now that's easy, easy enough for us to understand, I guess, in the physical sense, isn't it? We know that that is true. In fact, I went to visit my uh, cousin in Strathalbyn on Friday and uh, as I was leaving, I saw a packet of snow peas that looked really interesting. I'd never seen them in such a, a breed as that. Before, and I said to him, oh, could I take a couple of those seeds? And he said, yeah, 
help yourself. So I reached in and took a few seeds out. And uh, actually I said to him, I said, uh, I showed him what I had. And he says, one, two, three, four, five, six, a couple. He said, he said, I think you need to go to Specsavers. <laughs> but anyway, I brought them home and yesterday I planted these snow peas and I'm really looking forward to reaping a great host of tomatoes from that. <laughs> no? No, of course I won't. I will reap what I sowed. Hopefully there'll be some snow peas. But socially and culturally and politically today, we are seeing all sorts of social and cultural changes and anomalies which run counter to the Word of God. It's very, very obvious, isn't it? And I don't know why it is that we expect that these things can happen and there will be no consequences from it. Sometimes I believe that Christians today believe certain things about what the Bible says and the Bible teaches and the Word of God. But on the other hand, we're too, we too readily accept or anaesthetise sometimes, I think, to the worldly philosophies that are... And, well, they're a contraposition to what the Word of God says. And it's my very firm belief that our actions as Christians must line up with God's requirements. Of course, we're going to miss the mark many, many times, aren't we? And we have over the years, no doubt. But those requirements... Clearly, are clearly laid out in the Word of God. And I hardly need to tell you what they are. God's Word is very clear, very clear indeed. Take, for instance, these words from Colossians chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing Paul is saying to the Colossians before he leaves them. He says, this final thing I want you to really take notice of, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. That's interesting, isn't it? If we want to experience the God of peace or the peace of God, then we need to live in the fashion the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do. To fix your thoughts on the things that are true and honourable and so on and right and pure and admirable. Think about these things and then he finishes up by saying, and then the God of peace will be with you. You will experience God's grace and his peace. And uh, I don't know, the TV seems to me to dish up utter rubbish and we concentrate on that more than we do on the word of God. I can remember last 
Sunday, I think it was, Dr. David Jeremiah, a great American evangelist, he said, uh, look, we, in America here, we've got over 100 cha TV channels. And he said, I find it difficult to find one that is really uplifting and good to watch. Well, what the Apostle Paul encouraged us to do, I know, is a rather tall order. This is what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That is a tall order, isn't it? Those who claim to live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And the Bible is replete with teaching that there's an irrevocable relationship between possession or profession and action. There's a very close relationship. In other words, our walk as Christians must match our talk. What did the Apostle John just say? Those who say they are in Christ, those who say they are Christians, should live, or actually it says must live, as Christ lived, as Jesus lived. Back in the, the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a great English politician by the name of William Wilberforce. You've never, you've heard of him, of course, without any doubt. He was largely responsible for um, the abolition of slavery in England. William Wilberforce was reading a book, apparently, which was called The Rise and the Progress of Religion in the Soul. And it was written by a fellow by the name of, of Philip Doddridge. And this is the little section that affected him most. He read this, and I'll read it to you from the book that he wrote. I beseech you, reader, whoever you are, that you would now look seriously into your heart and ask this one plain question. Am I truly religious? Is the love of God the governing principle of my life? Do I walk under the sense of his presence? Do I converse with him from day to day in the exercise of prayer and praise? And am I, on the whole, making his service my business and my delight, regarding him as my master and my father? And it was that very paragraph that brought William Wilberforce to Christ. In fact, Philip Doddridge went on to say this, and you don't have to agree with him when what he says, but this is what he said. 
Those who think they have a ticket to heaven simply by believing but are not interested in living the true Christian life could well end up in a place called hell. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? It is. But remember what the Bible says. Those who belong to Christ must walk as Jesus did. That's how we can recognise a Christian, not by what they say, but by what they do, how they live in this world. Well, let's go to another passage of Scripture, which I'm sure that you will all know very well, a familiar passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we stop there, don't we? We don't go on read any read the next verse. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. For grace you say through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. And I think we stop there because we're frightened to go on because it almost looks like we're adding works to our salvation. But you know, Jesus wasn't frightened of making that correlation. You know, when he met the woman at the well, woman caught up in adultery. Jesus shared that the water from the well wasn't going to help her much, but the water of life that he offered would be greatly beneficial to her. And so she accepted that. And what did Jesus say? You're not condemned now from your past life, but now what you need to do is go out and live your life that is, a live the kind of life that is commensurate with your newfound faith. That's what Jesus said, supposed to do. So Jesus wasn't paranoid in connecting the two, and neither was, was John paranoid in connecting the two. And now here, the Apostle Paul is not paranoid either. either he, he didn't stop at verse 8 and 9, in Ephesians 2, there weren't, there weren't any verses in the Bible at that, that time anyway. Couldn't go to chapter this and verse this. It was a, it, there were no numbers then. He went straight from being saved by grace and not works by saying in verse 10 there, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and if created in Christ Jesus is not coming and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, I don't know what it is. He says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath before ordained that we should walk therein. So is a life lived for Christ part of our salvation? Yes, I think it is. There's no doubt. The Word of God tells us that it is. Jesus said it. 
John said it. Paul said it. And didn't James say, you know, faith without works is dead. No, it's worthless. Faith without works. So what's the Apostle Paul t- talking about when he says it's not of works? Well, he's talking exactly about what Jesus roundly condemned in the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees and so on, the Judaizers, who concocted a myriad of, of laws and bylaws, hundreds and hundreds of them, the keeping of which they thought was going to rack up some kind of uh, bounty points with God. And Jesus said, you are a brood of vipers, venomous snakes, whitewashed sepulchres. You cannot and you must not add to the gospel in that way. That's the works that Paul is talking about that's still going on today. There are countless millions of people around this world who are desperately trying to accumulate by all sorts of offerings and ordinances and so on to to try and balance out the scales with God. And it simply cannot be done. Salvation is a finished work of Christ, finished work of grace, and it is continued on by his Holy Spirit in order to make us into the masterpieces that he wants to make us into. Now I realise some of you are probably thinking, oh, what about the thief on the cross then? He had no chance of adding to his salvation by living it out. What about the person who dies, makes a confession on his deathbed? What do we say about those things? Those situations. That's where we need to go to the cross, isn't it? That's where we need to go. It's the only place we can go. And see the grace of God. Such is the grace of God that he would accept that. But for us sitting here today, I guess it's a bit of a different story. If we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because we have experienced the grace of God in our lives. But it's obvious that the thief on the cross did not have the time to go on and live that life. I wonder why. Could it be that for us, why is it that we are in this situation? Could it be that we have been given time to do something that the scripture encourages us to do, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to work it out. Not works, but live it. Part of our experience of knowing Christ. Either way, it is a serious business which makes a difference between heaven and hell. Let me quickly take you back to Matthew's Gospel where John was baptising in the River Jordan and uh, he noticed that there were Jewish leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees who were coming along to him to be baptised. 
obviously, their, their motives were, were wrong, and it was another case of trying to score up brownie points with God. And John could see that. And what did he say? He said this, You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from God's coming judgment? Go away and prove, listen to this, go away and prove by the way that you live that you really have turned from your sins and turned to God. He's saying, don't just mouth it. Don't just assume that because you're Jews, you're in. Just saying that you're a descendant of Abraham won't cut it. John said, what you've got to do is bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if you are genuinely saved, you will show it by the way that you live. But in John chapter 15, it was Jesus who said this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last. Mm. So let's not trifle what Jesus says about the purpose of salvation. And this is precisely what Paul is saying in our reading from Galatians. Don't think you can mock God because you can't. You can't mock God. You are the one who will be deceived. God cannot be mocked. There are certain laws that stand for time and for eternity. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. He that reaps, he that sows to this world will reap corruption. He that sows to the flesh will reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit will reap everlasting life. It's the same in the physical realm. The snow peas I planted are going to bear snow peas. I had some very sad news this week about a young niece of mine who's got stage four cancer. Really sad. And, uh, you know, I think there's a girl that she doesn't know the Lord, far from him. Spent her whole life excessively indulging in drink and heavy smoker. <sighs> Whatsoever you sow, so shall you reap. And then the scripture goes on in verse 9 to say, so let us not be weary in well-doing, but let us continue on if we do not faint. And then in verse 10, Paul says, as a result of this great salvation, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, all men, especially the household of faith. 
And as I look around here, I'm so, I can tell you that I'm so encouraged with what I see happening in that regard. In this church, as I, as I am able to take in the, all your wonderful gifts for Westcare, and uh, as I look around and I see those who are willing to make meals for those who are in need and sick and so on, and as I see, I look around and I see people who are willingly putting up their hands to take Joan bags into hospital to see her husband. It's all very important, isn't it, that we do these things. So I'm encouraged to see that as we have opportunity, we're doing good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. God's laws are unalterable. You cannot trifle with God. God is not mocked. The scripture tells us that. So we can't trifle with the word of God. But the second thing is this. In addition to not being able to trifle with the word of God, God's laws of government cannot be changed. He has decreed that in both the natural and in the spiritual that his laws are applicable. As, a, as an old farmer from way back, you know, I, can, I realise that the natural law is, is, you know, it's a matter of what you sow, you'll reap. I didn't ever, if I sowed barley, that's what I reaped. If I sowed wheat, that's what I reaped. If I sowed oats, that's what I reaped. In fact, I find that the, the, the law is still applicable to my little veggie garden as well. It doesn't change. God's laws don't change. What we need to realise is that when it comes to God's spiritual laws, they too are unalterable. And there is uh, no point in denying the law of gravity. I mean, if you, if you jump off of a 10-storey building and say, I don't believe in the laws of gravity, that <laughs> uh, doesn't work, does it? Let me remind you that to deny the spiritual laws will result in a far greater tragedy. If you oppose God's law, who is it that suffers? It's us, isn't it? Evil results will always follow social wrong. We all know that. And yet we continue to allow all manner of, of social corruption to enter into the eye gate as we settle down to watch that idol in the corner of the living room. This old world that we live in is fraught with illustrations of willful living and bad choices that inevitably lead to devastating consequences. If we set God's laws aside, who suffers? Not God. It's us every time. It's the lawbreaker. Think back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, I think it is. Paul made it clear. The purpose of the law was so that people could see how dreadfully sinful they were. That was the purpose of the law. To point out our sin, make us realise we've missed the mark. 
Then he made this statement, and I think he knew very well when he made the statement what would be assumed from it, and so he made a following statement. He said this to begin with. He said, the more people sinned, the more we could see the abundance of God's glory and grace. So what would people think then? (laughs) Let's go on sinning. That's what he, 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 he anticipated that. He said, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? No, he said. God forbid that that should happen. If we are born again, if we are dead to sin, we no longer live that way. So that if we are Christians, what does Scripture say? We should walk as Jesus walked. Do as Jesus did. Act as Jesus did. We don't live that way because we used to live in sin. We now walk as Jesus did. God forbid, he says, that we should go on sinning because there are consequences to that. You cannot mock God like that. The law says that because of that, we must be punished. But isn't that good to know that Jesus took that punishment for our sins upon the cross and his blood was shed upon the cross that our sins could be forgiven. Yes, the law is not to be trifled with, but neither can the laws be changed or set aside. And just lastly and briefly, his laws have definite consequences. If we sow to the flesh, we shall reap corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we shall reap life everlasting. If we insist on going our own selfish pathway, the results are never pretty. They never will be. Come with me to Westcare sometime. Have a look at it. Visit a correctional services institute. Have a look for yourself. Look at all the trouble spots in this world as you watch that giga box in the corner of the ring. Wherever man appoints himself as the the, the arbitrary monitor of moral standards, the results of that are not pretty because whatever we sow, that is exactly what we shall reap. But isn't it good to know this, that he that sows to the Spirit is going to reap everlasting life. That's exciting to me. But what are the seeds? What are the kind of seeds that can be sown that will result in this everlasting life? Well, they're surely seeds that are towards God and they include faith and obedience, amongst many other things, of course, but faith and obedience. So disobeying the lords of God have got definite consequences, just as obeying the laws of God will result in his abiding presence with us forever. Now, we all know that um, living for Jesus is not always easy. It's, uh, uh, I think we all know that it's 
much, much easier not to do that. You can drift into that, but to live for Christ is not always easy. My testimony of 69 years of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and I've been through all sorts of testing times and dark places over the year, years and, and all sorts of difficulties. But would I go back and change things? No, I don't think I would because there's been wonderful lessons to be learned through those difficult times. Because, you see, as a Christian, we don't really belong here. Interesting, isn't it? When I was born again on the 31st of March, 1952, I received a new passport. And, you know, my citizenship was then in heaven. And it has been ever since. And COVID-19 can't do anything to the passport that I have. The border that I'm going to cross one day, never going to be closed because it's reserved. It states to me that, the, that my... my Certificate says to me that I am guaranteed that gateway into heaven because I am a citizen of heaven. Life here on this earth is just a tent dwelling. That's all it is. It's just a short preparatory exercise. So what's full salvation? It's surely living a life that is commensurate with or lines up with your profession that Jesus is your saviour. And I guess my prayer for you all today is that you might experience the genuineness of your faith simply by walking with him, by living for him and by serving him. There's nothing better that you can do with your life than that, dedicated to him and living your life what you've experienced, living it day by day out there in the world for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, again, <clears throat> we want to uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the many truths that we've been able to expand this morning and just we can latch on to those. We know that they're reliable and we thank you for them. Pray that you'll help us to put them into practice in a practical way in our lives day by day because we want to affect the lives of others who don't know the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that we might be living epistles um, just showing forth the gospel, showing that we uh, do belong to the Lord Jesus, making it evident by the fact that uh, we have a love for you, we're dedicated to you, we have a love for your brethren. So we thank you, Lord, for 
speaking with us this morning and uh, we just pray that you will help us as we launch into this week that lies ahead that we might be uh, just the kind of people that you have preordained that we should be. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. <laughs>